A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Casefile is a popular collection of true crime stories from all over the world, told with a keen appreciation of narrative and suspense. It's not like some of those other true crime podcasts you'll hear where the production team goes a bit nuts and jazzes things up, digging up old interview tapes, or by creating a nice montage of news reports set to music. No, in Casefile, all you have is this flat, unemotional Australian voice backed by minimal, often menacing music telling you what happened. It sounds different. The crimes can be grisly and bizarre. And to add to the mystery, nobody actually knows who the host and creator of this podcast is. All we do know is that he's an Australian who describes himself as just a random Aussie guy in my spare bedroom running a podcast. By email, he told me that he started the podcast when he was recovering from knee surgery. He was off work and had a lot of time on his hands, so he was a big podcast fan enjoying shows like Serial, Hardcore History and the Joe Rogan Experience, and it was listening to Joe Rogan that inspired him to start up Casefile. Now 99 episodes in, this low-key project started in 2016 has well and truly gone global. It can sometimes attract millions of listeners to a single episode – It appears in the podcast charts in no less than 107 different countries. It's won several awards and now has a production team spread out across the UK, the US, Australia and Argentina. Here's some of Case 88. It's all about an English skydiver called Stephen Hilda, who plummeted to his death during a jump in 2003 after someone tampered with his gear. He was part of a student skydiving team called Black Rain and he was taking part in a competition with two teammates, Adrian Blair and David Masson. Black Rain shared the light single-engine aircraft with one other team. A total of eight skydivers were on board. Drop zone planes have no seats, so the skydivers sat on the floor facing the rear. Each person was between the legs of the skydiver behind them. The two cameramen knelt at the back of the group so they could see everyone on board. The propeller fired up for the first load of the day and Black Rain's first jump for the competition. As the plane took off, Black Rain's videographer turned on his camera. The footage caught Stephen Hilda laughing and jerking. As the plane got near the competition height of 13,000 feet, he and his teammates did one last gear check. They performed a ritual handshake before climbing into position in the door of the airplane. The three then launched off the edge into the open sky. Their exit didn't go completely to plan. It funneled in skydiver speak, meaning they didn't come off cleanly. But they recovered after a few seconds and started their pre-planned formations. After 10 seconds, they reached terminal velocity the speed at which the body stops accelerating. At this stage, they were falling at around 200 kilometres per hour toward the Earth. For the next 45 seconds, the team continually changed their hand and leg grips to manoeuvre in the sky, 
With each new formation, they earned points for the competition. For an intermediate team, 10 points was good. 15 points was excellent. That day, Black Rain received a competition-winning 19 points. It was the best jump the team had ever done together. They knew they'd aced it before their free-fall was even finished. Barring a miracle from another team, they would be crowned national champions. The three exhilarated men made eye contact and screamed through their huge grins at each other, even though it was impossible to hear anything through the rushing wind. At 4,000 feet, around a minute after they had exited the plane, the three teammates turned away from each other to gain horizontal separation before they deployed their parachutes. The camera no longer needed to stay on them, but in any case, the camera lost sight of them due to cloud. After deploying their parachute, the first thing a skydiver is trained to do is to look around to see where everyone else is. Two people colliding mid-air spells disaster. As he descended, a big wad of white fabric swept past Adrian's vision. It registered as out of place, but he didn't make anything of it at the time. He was still buzzing from the amazing jump and was focused on preparing his landing, usually the most dangerous part of the skydive. Chief Instructor Paul Hollow was on the ground, eyes on the sky. With the cloudy weather, he knew it was possible for a skydiver to overshoot the hangar and land in the nearby cornfields. Anyone making such a transgression would be made to buy a case of beer that night and ring a bell above the bar, alerting everyone that there was free beer to be had. It looked like there would be free beer that night. Hollow noticed the skydiver had landed in the cornfield. He dispatched one of his instructors to go and retrieve them. The instructor returned with a bundle in his arms. It was a white parachute. A main parachute may be many colours, but only reserve parachutes are white. Years of experience meant Hollow only had to glance at the stray white parachute to know something had gone seriously wrong. Accidents are accepted as being an integral part of skydiving. Deaths are rare. Death by double malfunction, where both parachutes fail, is almost unheard of. Usually, some sort of error on behalf of the skydiver causes a fatality. They may turn their parachute too close to the ground, hoping to build up speed for a really cool landing, but misjudge and hit too hard. They may deal badly with the malfunction of their main parachute and deploy their reserve parachute into it, causing the two to tangle. Two skydivers might collide mid-air, either in freefall or under their parachutes, rendering one or both unconscious and unable to land safely. But never had Paul Hollow seen nor heard of an incident where a reserve parachute broke away from the rest of the skydiving kit and the person wearing it. A main parachute has special release rings, so a skydiver can detach it if it's malfunctioning. However, a reserve parachute is permanently attached. There's no getting rid of it, unless you cut it with a knife or climb out of the harness in mid-air. Paul Hollow climbed onto the roof of a car and scanned the surrounding fields. He spotted a large, unnatural indentation in the tall stalks of corn. He climbed down and headed into the field towards the indentation. 
he found Stephen Hilda. Having hit the ground at almost 200 kilometres per hour, the corn had done nothing to break Stephen's fall. He was still wearing his skydiving harness, but neither of his parachutes were billowing around him as he would normally expect. A single glance at Stephen's shoulder area told Hollow all he needed to know. Stephen's gear had been tampered with, his parachute sabotaged. Chief Instructor Paul Hollow called the police. Detective Superintendent Colin Andrews of Humberside Police arrived at the airfield. Paul Hollow took him aside and told him immediately that this was no ordinary skydiving accident. The dead man's equipment had been interfered with. Skydiving experts were able to piece together what happened. A long piece of webbing called the bridle connected the pilot chute to the pin that opens the container where the main parachute is stored. Stephen's bridle had been cut. The cut bridle and the pilot chute had been stuffed back into the elastic sleeve. There would be no way of telling it was tampered with without pulling the pilot chute out of the sleeve. And there would be no reason to do that unless you suspected something was wrong. This meant the pilot chute was no longer attached to the pin. When Stephen pulled it out at deployment height and let it go, there was nothing to pull the pin and drag the main parachute out of the container so it stayed lodged in there, impossible for Stephen to do anything to get it out. When he realised his main parachute was malfunctioning, Stephen pulled the handle that deployed his white reserve chute. It launched, but all four pieces of webbing that attached the reserve canopy to his harness, called the risers, had also been cut. The reserve parachute simply flew away. Stephen had no more parachutes left. All this would have happened between 4,000 and 2,000 feet above the ground. Plummeting at terminal velocity, Stephen had to endure at least 10 to 20 seconds of knowing he was going to die, and there was nothing he could have done about it. The cypress he had so carefully set prior to takeoff did its job. It fired but there was no reserve parachute for it to release. From the moment Stephen exited the aircraft, he was a dead man. Nothing could have saved him. Some of Case 88, Stephen Hilda from the Case File podcast, and you can find more details of where to listen to more of its 99 episodes and to subscribe on our website now at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.